Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. All right, all right. We're going live. Hey, what's going on, everybody? We're going to talk about fear today. Fear, fear. How to conquer it, how to overcome it. I'm kind of pumped to talk about fear. And we're talking today about four scientifically proven ways to break through our fears. And I'm really looking forward to talking about this. I deal with fear all the time deal with fear every single day. I've been dealing with fear for as long as I can remember what I've been dealing with uh, for whatever that's worth. So look, let's get right to it. I would love your questions. I would love your stories. I would love your feedback. I would love to interact directly with you. I am watching the live stream as we record this. The topic today is fear. I want to start by sharing from a very personal perspective, Fear is something that I know many of us who are members of the Miracle Morning community, many of us who are members of the Achieve Your Goals podcast community, fear is something that we probably all deal with in our own way. Fear, I think, is a very personal thing. And so it's only fitting that today, if I'm going to talk to you about ways of breaking through fear, it's a very personal conversation for me. I can admit that I live with fear. It's not something that ever goes away. I live with it and I've learned to work with it. I've finally figured out, I think I've figured out, although as soon as I think I've figured out something, it usually means I haven't really figured anything out. But I feel like I've finally figured out that uh, I can never really eliminate fear from my life as an entrepreneur, as a parent. I can't seem to get rid of it. But what I can do is I can learn how to work with it. And thank you, Samantha. Thank you, Krista, for the questions By the way, I'm going to address those questions head on in just a second here. How do you calm yourself down with fears of the future? How do you cope with fear of what others might be thinking of us, even strangers that we don't know? I'm happy to address all of that. And I will start by saying that fear has played a big role in my life. And I'm going to go back to in high school. There was a time in my life in high school where, and I don't really put too much energy in trying to fully understand or comprehend why certain things in my life worked out the way they did. But I know this. I know that when I was in high school, I lived with an intense amount of fear. I was afraid to go to school every day. I was afraid of what people thought of me. I was afraid of what they might say to me about me. And I was so afraid that I really barely made it through high school. I just became completely socially disconnected. I think I became disconnected from who I was. And I got lucky and not everybody gets lucky the way I do that I really stumbled into an opportunity. And many of you who know me or we've gotten to know each other, you know my story that um, I stumbled into an opportunity to be an entrepreneur at a young age. And that was like a way out for me. I was lucky that I got to sell Cutco Knives and that company had a culture where I was able to completely kind of let go of the life I was living during the day and go live a different life selling kitchen knives. And if that sounds weird, it is. 
But interestingly, and that's where Hal and I met many of our good friends, John Vroman, John Rulin. In fact, we did an episode a few weeks ago where five of us came on who've known each other for 20 years. We had John Rulin, John Vroman, John Kane, and Hal, Hal the oddball who is not named John. But we all grew up in that culture. So I got lucky that that was like a way out for me, but not everybody gets that lucky. So if I share something with you today that helps you, that makes me feel really great. I've learned a lot about dealing with fear. And today I'm going to share with you four strategies to deal with fear. And even if you're somebody who feels like, well, fear isn't necessarily slowing you down, at least not in a conscious way. I have found that for me, even when I'm crushing it at life, there are always little voices in my head that will come up. And I might not use the label fear to describe them, but it might be doubt. It might be hesitation. It might be a limiting belief in myself. It might be an anxiety. It might be a concern or a frustration. To me, these are all derivatives. They're all like the brothers and sisters and cousins of fear. And the four strategies I'm going to share with you today, I'm going to start with the first one, which is maybe the more complicated of the four strategies I'm going to share. And so the first of the four strategies I'm going to share to deal with fear in an effective way is what I would call, and I think this is really important, we all have to learn how to build a practice of mindfulness. Now, there's a lot of different labels and a lot of different words I could use that might mean the same thing to a lot of us. Some people call these contemplative practices, and I'm going to go way into this right now. I'm going to dive deeply into my experience with meditation. Some people call it meditation. Some people call it practices of connectedness. You might call it prayer. You could call it whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you that in my life, one of the things that has really, really helped me And as I said earlier, not to figure out how to get rid of fear. I've decided I can't get rid of it, but I can learn how to work with it in a more effective way. I can learn how to work with it where it doesn't have a grip on me. And of the four strategies I'm going to share with you today, in the final three, they're actually really practical. Not that mindfulness or meditation isn't, but it's the one that I think more people struggle with. That's why I'm hitting it head on. I'm starting with it. So let me talk a little bit about mindfulness meditation and what that's done for me. And I want to give credit here to Juliana Ray. Somebody, if they could uh, tag Juliana in the comments so she knows I just gave her a shout out. I want to give credit to Juliana, who I was introduced to about three years ago, who is my mindfulness coach. And if you want to learn more about Juliana, you can go check out unifiedmindfulness.com. And I had been introduced to meditation, it may have been 15 years ago, was when I started meditating. And uh, in fact, when I started, I never share this, so I might as well share this. When I started meditating, I had come across, at the time it was only available as an audio program, maybe it's a book nowadays, there was a Deepak Chopra audio program called Synchro Destiny. And he had these six different meditations. And these six different meditations, they were all of like, you know, Eastern origin, right? So they were literally these like Hindu, and I could be getting that wrong, but I think they were these Hindu sayings, but he interpreted them. And I'll never forget, I I had that audio program, The Power of Synchro Destiny. I I don't know if that was the title or the subtitle, but I transcribed word for word the whole program just by pen and paper. I had someone who had taught me, if you really want to internalize something, you've got to put pen to paper and recreate it basically. And I transcribed all these different meditations that he taught. And in that transcription, I then started meditating. And I'll I'll never forget, now this might sound like the most trivial example of the power of meditation, but it is kind of crazy, right? 
So I had been meditating on a certain saying. I think the saying was something like aham brahmasmi. And forgive me, I might be misstating that. And I think the meaning of that saying, it's been 15 years, so I don't remember exactly, but it was something about connectedness. And I had been meditating on that one word for about a week. And I was driving in my car and I decided out of nowhere, I'm going to call up this girl that I used to know like years ago. And she was never anything more than a, like a, a loose acquaintance, just a friend that I knew. And I thought her number was still in my phone. I'm going to call her up for no reason. Well, I called her up and it just so happened that as I called her, I was on my way home from an indoor soccer game. And I hadn't spoken to this girl. Her name was Susie. I won't say her last name to protect the identity of the innocent here. I called her up on my way home from an indoor soccer game. It had just so happened that during that game, I had sprained my right ankle so badly that I could barely drive my car. I was driving it actually with my left foot, which if you've ever done that, it doesn't feel safe. And Susie answers the phone. No exaggeration. This is the truth. This is exactly how the conversation goes. And keep in mind, I had been meditating for about a week on connectedness. And what I had learned about certain meditations is that depending on what you believe about quantum physics and a bunch of other things, that we actually can create connectedness across time and space. And you know, I don't know if I really believed any of that until Susie picked up the phone. So she picks up the phone and she's like, hey, John, I haven't talked to you in years. And I said, I know. I just figured I would call, just saying hi. So we're about a minute into the conversation and she's like, well, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I'm driving home from a soccer game. And I tell Susie, I say, Susie, this might not sound safe, but I injured my right foot. I'm driving with my left foot. And she goes, is this some kind of prank? And I said, no, this isn't a prank. I said, what are you talking about? Right? And it got weird for a second. And she was silent. right? And she said, John, you wouldn't believe it. She said, but I'm driving my car and I'm also driving with my left foot because I recently sprained my right ankle. Now that's a true story. And I remember, you know, I was silent and then I got really weird and she and I both decided it was really weird and we kind of ended the conversation and it never really went anywhere after that. It's kind of a funny story. But um, I will tell you this, I have since that moment in the last 15 years, I have had many, many, many instances where the deeper I went with meditation, the more I had synchronistic events in my life and many that were more than just trivial, ones that actually led to really important accomplishments personally and professionally. So that was how I was introduced to meditation. And thank you for your patience and hearing my rambling. I've never told that story of that first synchro destiny moment that told me maybe there's something to this meditation. But today's podcast episode or live stream, if you're watching, it is about dealing with fear. And over the years, what I've learned about meditation and having a contemplative practice is, look, you know, I could talk right now about all sorts of band-aids that we could put on our emotions. And in fact, I think that's what a lot of us do in our lives. We distract ourselves from our emotions. I joke with my wife or my friends. It's like, do I want to deal with my emotions right now or just eat a piece of cheese? And for some of us, it's not a piece of cheese. It's something else, or it's a drink, or it's a puff, or it's zoning into the television. And in my mind, those are all the same thing. They're all things that we do to avoid feeling what we're feeling. And that's just the human experience. And so fast forward 13 years after I was first introduced to meditation, Juliana Ray, my coach, who I met about three years ago, maybe four years ago, 
she taught me a practice of meditation that helps me to build three attention skills. So I want to share these three attention skills with you because I believe in my experience has been that in dealing with fear, these three attention skills are absolutely lifesavers. And by the way, if you have questions about dealing with fear, I don't know that I have answers to your questions, but you're welcome to post them in the live stream. I can see a whole bunch of them that have come in already and I'm trying to share these stories and talk as I'm reading what you posted. So I think I'm going to do my best to help you out. So mindfulness meditation helps to develop three attention skills. And I'm sharing these three skills with you because I want to sell you on developing a meditation practice because I believe that without having a formal practice, you can't develop these three skills any other way. It would be like saying, well, I know all about going to the gym and I know all about lifting weights and then expecting my muscles to change. I can't know all about something when it comes to mindfulness or meditation, but not practice it and think that I'm going to get better. Sometimes we think intellectually, we can just understand our way into changing who we are being, but we have to actually nurture practices and habits that change our way of being, if that makes sense. So mindfulness meditation, the form that I learned from Juliana, has helped me to build three attention skills. Number one is what we call concentration power. And concentration power is the ability to stay focused on whatever I deem to be important at any given moment in time. When it comes to dealing with fear, you know, that's really helpful because oftentimes fear is allowing my mind to wander into the future, to wander outside of what I really need to be focusing on, which is probably something that should be right in front of me. So building our concentration power through a mindfulness practice is a fantastic antidote to fear, right? Stay focused on what matters. Because oftentimes, if we unconsciously move into a state of fear, it's just because our mind might be wandering away from whatever is actually more important in that moment, right? The second attention skill is what we call sensory clarity, sensory clarity. And sensory clarity is the ability to detect, to discriminate, to distinguish our sensory experience. So what does that mean? Well, I'll just make this personal. For me, a lot of the time, when fear is taking over for me, what happens is I don't really notice what's going on until it's too late. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. And I don't really notice what's going on until the internal chatter in my mind has been going for so long that it's like, it's paralyzing. Or sometimes it's not the chatter. For me, it is often the chatter. And when I say chatter, I'm talking about just conversation in my head, where I'm actually talking through either a conversation or literally talking through the future that I don't want to have happen. But I don't notice until it's so late in the game that that fear is like, it's got a grip on me. I don't know if you can relate to that. Sometimes it's not a conversation in my head. Sometimes it's images in my head where I don't realize it until it's too late, but I've literally played out in my head like, like what it looks like for my business to fail, my wife to leave me, my kids to be all messed up. I don't know if any of you ever played these things out or you don't realize till it's too late. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, I, that's a little out of control. And sometimes it's not a conversation in my head or it's not the voices, it's not the images. Sometimes it's just the physical feeling of... Uh, type of fear, right? It's before I walk in to give a presentation, before I walk into a social setting, that's what it could be for a lot of you. Before I go into this important meeting or moment, there's something in my chest, like a physical representation of anxiety. So if you're listening right now, if you're paying attention, you might notice that I just called out three different 
ways that we actually experience our moment by moment experience, right? It's through what we hear. And I'm talking about inside of ourselves. I'm talking about the sound of the cars or the birds or the wind. I'm talking about the voices in my head, or sometimes it's things that I see, or sometimes it's an emotional feeling. Now, here's when I know I'm really messed up. I know I'm really messed up when I'm talking to myself, seeing things and feeling something all at the same time. That's what Juliana, my coach, calls that we've become uh, intertangled, our sensory experience. And we have to learn how to unravel that, untangle it. So at this point, some of you might be listening, thinking, well, you're completely describing you know, an experience that I have from time to time. Which by the way, if I am describing your experience and you want an immersion in helping you to transform fear into courage and an unstoppable confidence, make sure you join us in San Diego next month at the Best You Ever Live Blueprint, right? We're 30 days away. Three or 400 of you are going to be there. Bestyoueverlive.com, bestyoueverlive.com. Hal and I cannot wait to spend three amazing days with you designing the year of your life for 2018. But back to our regularly scheduled programming. So I shared with you earlier, I'm talking about four ways of dealing with fear. The first one is to develop what I would call a mindfulness or meditation practice. And what I've been trying to advocate for here is that when you develop a mindfulness practice, and by the way, if you're watching the live stream, give me a shout out, a hello, a question, anything. I never know if this is of any interest. So just post a comment, question, idea, just so I know you're still there. So I've been talking about meditation and how it builds three attention skills. One of them is concentration power. The second is sensory clarity. The third is what we call equanimity. And this is a big one when it comes to dealing with fear. Equanimity is the ability to avoid the push and the pull of our internal experience. What does that mean? Well, what it means is, imagine emotions are kind of like a wave and they come and go. And when they come, if we're unconscious about it, they can grip us and they can pull us under the water, right? If you've ever actually been sucked under the water at the ocean shore at the beach, you know that that's a scary feeling. Well, that happens to us all the time with our emotions. Our emotions come and go like a wave. They don't just show up at our doorstep. They slowly creep in, they expand, and then they slowly go away. And so when we talk about equanimity, what we're talking about is can we allow our emotions to come and go without allowing them to throw us under the wave, right? So those are the skills that mindfulness helps us to build. And the reason I wanted to stop and talk about those, because if you're listening and you're like me, I can't hear about those skills and not agree that, okay, I have to learn how to build these if I want to learn how to deal productively with fear, right? So let's circle all the way back to, well, if you don't have a regular meditation practice, what can you start doing right now? Well, I'm not an expert on teaching meditation. I would direct you to unifiedmindfulness.com and go learn from Juliana. Start a regular practice right now. Pick up her mentor's book, The Science of Enlightenment by Shin Zen Young. We will be leading and teaching meditation at the Best You Ever Blueprint event next month. But I just wanted to finish this point by saying, look, if fear is something that you deal with on a regular basis or any disempowering emotion, the first thing that I'm sharing with you today that has helped me in a huge way is having a regular mindfulness practice, having a regular meditation practice. And it's subtle, but it builds and it can be really, really helpful. I told you I was going to share with you four strategies today, four strategies for dealing with fear in an effective way. The next three, I think, are a lot easier and a lot more practical and almost instant. And it's more noticeable to notice the results. So here we go. 
the second of these four ways of dealing with fear. And I don't have fancy labels for these. So you just got to bear with me as I stumble through this because this isn't like some canned talk that I give. This is just me riffing on how have I dealt with this. And I got a few scribbles on a piece of paper. If you're on the live stream, there's my scribbles right there. Those are my notes. So you can see how interesting it is for me to turn that into something coherent. So the second of the four ways that I want to talk about is what I call managing your internal narrative, managing your internal narrative. And what do I mean by managing your internal narrative? Really what I'm talking about is what is the story that you are telling yourself about what's happening in your life or in your business, right? Whatever the arena of your world, it could be in your family, it could be in your business, it could be where you go to work every day, it could be everything. But my point is, what story are you telling yourself about what's going on in your life? And I'm going to specifically give you a resource here. And the resource that I want to give you is an example of a story that you can use to maybe replace a disempowering story. Now, I'm holding up a diagram. And what I'm holding up a diagram of is something called the hero's journey. I'm a huge fan of the hero's journey. The hero's journey, it's a philosophy that I learned about from a great teacher by the name of Joseph Campbell. And if you want to learn more about The Hero's Journey, just Google it. You can also check out a great documentary called Finding Joe by Pat Solomon. I love Pat. Super cool dude. We had him at our Quantum Leap Mastermind event a few years ago. And he was the, I think, producer, executive producer. I could be wrong on that title. Of Finding Joe, a documentary about The Hero's Journey. But The Hero's Journey in a nutshell, and this is the non-scientific inaccurate explanation of the hero's journey. But the hero's journey, it's really Joseph Campbell's discovery. Joseph Campbell studied mythology, religion, and he really studied culture and civilization across time. And one of the things that Joseph Campbell found is that when you look across all of the stories that have been told all across history, when you look in religions, cultures, societies, indigenous, modern, and you even look at film, modern day Hollywood films, Joseph Campbell pointed something out. And I think Hollywood is obviously taking a cue from these stories that go back across generations and civilizations. But what Joseph Campbell found is that there's a, what he calls a monolith or a monomyth, which is a, there's a universal plot line. There's one storyline that is kind of embedded within all of the stories that have ever been told. Now, if that sounds crazy, do your own homework. Go check this out. It's really, really cool stuff. But what I love about the hero's journey, which is the label that Joseph Campbell uses to describe this journey that we're all on, is that the hero's journey allows us to really reframe the story that we tell ourselves about our lives. And I'm going to give you a really high-level overview of the hero's journey. And if you're interested in the hero's journey, there's an episode that we did on the Achieve Your Goals podcast. We did this like a year ago or two years ago. It was a long time ago where I think we brought Pat Solomon on. We talked about the hero's journey. We may have done more than one episode on this. So I'll find it, we'll post it, and you got to go check it out. But here's the hero's journey in a nutshell. It's the idea that in our lives, there's a journey that we're all on, whether or not we're conscious of it. And if we become conscious of it, my experience has been that I can accelerate it. My experience is that I can actually participate in that journey. But if I don't become conscious of it, or I don't consciously articulate where I'm at in the journey, I can become paralyzed, right? And for me, this is a great way of understanding what's happening in my life 
in a way where by understanding it, that almost becomes a form of mindfulness. It's almost becomes a form of meditation to where the fear doesn't get a hold of me. I just understand the role that it's playing, if that makes sense. So here's the hero's journey in a nutshell. There's really like three or four phases in the hero's journey that we can all connect to. The first phase of the hero's journey is what Joseph Campbell calls act one, right? Sometimes it's called separation. And this first phase is where we go from what we call the ordinary world, right? Which really just means we interrupt the pattern of our everyday thinking, right? Because I, I truly believe that if I think the same thoughts every day, if I feel the same emotions and I get dressed the same way and I eat the same food and I do exactly the same things and I say the same things, not much is going to change in my life. And so the hero's journey is asking us to recognize that really the first step on our journey is to listen at a deep level for a calling to maybe step out of our ordinary world. And I, I like to reinterpret that and say, what I really hear there is we've got to be willing to open up our minds. We've got to be willing to open up our minds to see things a little bit differently and to maybe sense that the world might be calling for something of us that's greater than what we have currently recognized. And so in this first part of the hero's journey, really what happens is it's what we call answering the call. So there might be some of you right now who are sitting in fear in your lives and in your businesses. And one of the things that could help you out is if you recognize that maybe in your hero's journey, the reason you're feeling a sense of fear is because you feel a calling to something more and you're simply afraid of what could happen if you pursue that calling. You're afraid of the unknown. You're afraid of the uncertainty. And see, I have found that for me personally, when I stop and recognize that, hey, part of my fear just comes from whatever stage I'm at in the journey and not realizing that I'm just at a certain stage that's actually very understandable where fear is normal and natural, just by recognizing that it can help us to deal with the fear. So according to the hero's journey, right, the first stage is what we call answering the call. And answering the call means that we decide that we're going to follow this whisper. We're going to follow this internal voice. We're going to follow our gut. We're going to follow this opportunity. And that leads us into the second stage in that moment where we go from that first stage of deciding to answer the call. And by the way, how many of us have resisted answering the call in our lives, right? We hesitate. Well, the moment that we decide to answer that call, Joseph Campbell calls that crossing the threshold. And some people call it crossing the first threshold. And crossing the first threshold is where we decide that we're going to move from you know, feeling or hearing or sensing that the world is giving us a chance to do or create or be something more, that we're actually going to commit to following that. And then what happens is once we cross that threshold, we get into kind of the second act of our hero's journey. And for some of you, maybe what you've done is you feel like you've answered that calling. Samantha asked the question, how do you figure out the calling? That's a great question. I'm a really big fan of Otto Sharmer out of MIT, who teaches something called Theory U. And one of the things they teach in Theory U, it's called Presencing. Check out the book Presence. It's one of the most powerful books I've ever found about connecting to your deeper purpose so that you can create the future that you want in your dreams. It's some pretty crazy stuff, but it's a bunch of really smart people that I personally really respect. And one of the things I've learned from them is that 
in order to connect to kind of a deeper intelligence, and there's all these fancy labels, an infinite intelligence, a deeper wisdom, a consciousness of connectedness, a field of information and energy. There's all these different labels out there. But in order to connect to that deeper connectedness, one of the things we have to do is we have to learn how to open our minds. And what does that mean? It means let go of our old patterns and ways of thinking. And we also have to learn how to open up our hearts, which means we have to learn how to start to see the world from the shoes of other people, from the eyes of other people. And when we allow ourselves to let go of how we've been thinking and what we've been believing, and we allow ourselves to let go of how we see the world and to see it how others see it, it might draw us to a point where we not only can open our minds and our hearts, but we can open up to the potential and the possibility of the highest calling that the world has for us. Now, personally, one of the questions I'm always asking myself is, what are my highest strengths? What are my highest strengths, talents, and capabilities? When have I been at my best? Why was I at my best? And how can I take the factors from those moments and keep reinviting them into the present? And combining that with um, what gives me joy, what gives me passion, that's presence by Otto Sharma, Peter Senge, Joseph Jaworski, and Betty Sue Flowers. There's probably a hundred books called Presence, but it's the one that's co-authored by Peter Senge and Joseph Jaworski. So that's my answer to how do I figure out that calling is, well, first of all, I never stop asking. I never stop asking, why am I here? What's my purpose? What meaning can I give to what I'm doing? How do I keep applying my strengths? How do I keep connecting the dots between the opportunities, the people in my life, the strengths that I have, and what gives me joy? I just don't stop asking. And that allows new, exciting things to emerge again and again and again and again. So back to the hero's journey. For me, and the way Joseph Campbell describes it, is once we make that commitment to follow that calling, what happens is now we go into this second act where, and these I'm just paraphrasing here, but really at that stage in our lives or in our journey, and maybe you can all relate to this if you feel fear in your lives right now, the second act is where we, what Joseph Campbell calls, we face some sort of supreme ordeal. We face a supreme ordeal. What does that mean? Well, facing that ordeal, you know, we meet people on our journey that become mentors, but we also meet people who become villains, right? And we also come across ideas that are going to help us. And we also come across distractions, right? But ultimately, we find ourselves facing some sort of moment, And it's a moment, you might call it an obstacle, an adversity. Joseph Campbell calls it the supreme ordeal. Depending on the interpretation of the hero's journey, some people call it the rebirth or the reincarnation. Some people call it dying and being reborn. And actually, if you look across cultures and you look across religion and you look across stories that are told, you know, this whole storyline of some part of me has to die in order for some new part of me to be born That's really is a universal storyline. And so this second act of the hero's journey, as Joseph Campbell has identified, this journey is present in every culture, every civilization, every religion, every myth, if you deconstruct them. What really helps me is when I can step back and go, you know what? Okay, I'm going through multiple hero's journeys in my life. Maybe I got one in my personal life, one in my business. For me, every client I have is like going through a whole hero's journey. But sometimes I have to stop and just recognize, you know what? I'm just facing the natural moment of a supreme ordeal right now. I'm just facing the natural experience of some major adversity. And what really helps me when I feel fear in the face of knowing that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, as Hal always says, is knowing what's on the other side of that, right? 
Because what's on the side of on the other side of that second stage is what we call the third threshold, which is where after we face an ordeal, after we face some major adversity, on the other side of that, there's usually some sort of transformational discovery. And I don't know about all of you, but I can think of one ordeal I faced after another, after another, after another. For me, I remember having kids. And you know, any of you who are parents, uh, having a kid, talk about a polarizing experience. It's like the greatest moment of your life. And then, you know, a few days later, it's like the worst moment of your life when you're dealing with these things that you've never dealt with. It's like this unavoidable ordeal. And what's been interesting for me with having kids is after the second and then the third, I I started to finally realize that for me, at least speak for myself, you know, they bring this equal part challenge and opportunity. And that reminds me of how life works. It's how nature works, right? Where I live now, I grew up in San Jose, California, where there were no seasons. And I feel so lucky to live where we have seasons, not only because I've learned how to love, I trail run in the snow, I'm outside every day. I've reframed what cold weather means to me. My kids, they cannot wait for the snow. We go skiing three, four days a week. But I love the seasons because when I look at nature, I feel like nature has a deep, infinite wisdom. Nature has been the invisible school long before you know, school was a word. And nature reminds us that life operates in seasons, right? And so when I see nature turning from one season to the next, it reminds me of the hero's journey. It reminds me that in life, we go through a winter to come through to a spring and a summer and ultimately a harvest. And in the hero's journey, on the other side of any ordeal, we can find incredible transformational positive benefits. And then that eventually leads us to, depending on which version of the hero's journey you study, you know, where it all circles back to where I take that wisdom back to my community, back to my family, back to my business, back to my clients, back to my team, back to myself. And now I've gone through this journey where I've come out a brand new person. So let's go all the way back to this call today is about fear. And I told you I'd share with you four strategies. The first one, we talked all about mindfulness and meditation. The second one, what we're talking about here is We've got to learn how to manage our narrative. We've got to learn how to manage the story that we're telling ourselves. And I'm using the hero's journey to give you an example that when we learn how to see our place in our own hero's journey, we can learn to accept that certain emotions are just part of the journey and we can become excited because we understand what's going to happen next. Hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully this makes sense. The third way that I want to share with you today to deal with fear is to redirect your focus. So the third and final way that I'm going to share with you today to deal with fear is about redirecting our focus, redirecting our focus. And one of the ways that I redirect my focus, and if you listen to last week's episode or the week before that, you're noticing a pattern. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what I do in my day job is about designing questions. Now, I design questions for teams and cultures and companies and communities and institutions to shift an entire group of people. But everything we do in that work applies to individuals. So how do we redirect our focus? by choosing new questions to ask. Because if I'm living in fear, there's a good chance that I'm unconsciously asking questions like, what's wrong? Or how bad is this going to get? And you know what? If I'm unconscious, I'm going to keep asking those questions. And I don't know about all of you, but I don't know a way to ask a question like, what's wrong? Or what do people think of me? Or how badly could this go? Or how did I get myself into this position? I don't know how to answer those in a way that's going to make me better off. What I know is if I keep asking those questions, I'm just going to get really smart about what's wrong or what's not working or what's broken. So again, those of you coming to our Best Year Ever Blueprint event next month in San Diego, the whole event is guided by five or six questions and you go through an activity as part of a supportive community. And when people leave it, it's changed their whole life because they're ready to bring new questions, new ways of being and new plans into 2018. 
bestyoueverlive.com, bestyoueverlive.com. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. So questions like, well, what is it that I actually want, right? So whatever area in your life you have fear around, let's say it's finances. There's two steps. One is you got to reframe it, right? So you might say, man, things are terrible. It's crazy. The IRS is coming after me. I'm not making any money. I can't keep track of anything. I got all these problems. Great. I'm going to ask you this. What do you want? And I'm going to keep asking that until you learn how to frame the situation in a way where we can now have a conversation that moves us towards something, not away from something. Because telling me what's wrong or what you don't want doesn't tell me what's right or what you do want, right? You could say, I got all these problems. That doesn't answer, well, what should we strive towards? It just tells us we've got problems, right? You could say we've got problems all day long, but all we're really doing is fixing a broken, busted up Chevy. Nothing wrong with a Chevy, but that's not the same as saying, what would it look like to design a Tesla? So if you've got fear in an area of your life, I'm going to ask you to reframe it. What do you want in that area? Well, I want to be thriving, right? I want to have confidence, certainty. I want to have a plan in place. I want to be growing. I want to be developing. I want things to be working. I want to be successful. Great. Now we can ask a whole new set of questions. Like, what would that look like? Or who do you know who's excelling in that area that we could go learn from? All right. And what actions could you take immediately, the smallest actions to move you towards that? What's a big, bold step you could take symbolically to move you towards that? Or when have you been successful in this area? Or why does this matter to you, right? These are all questions that once you have a positive frame can help you drill in a positive way to reshape your focus towards something worthwhile, right? The fourth and final answer I'm going to give you today, dealing with fear. Thanks for tuning in to Achieve Your Goals podcast. Thanks for tuning in on the live stream. Hope you enjoyed this. If you did, share it with your friends. If we're going to see you in San Diego next month, awesome. If you're still waiting to get your tickets, I'll make a personal commitment. If you pick up a ticket to bestyoueverlive.com, if you sit through the first day and it doesn't completely change your life, come up and let us know. We're not going to ask questions. You don't have to tell us why. We'll just hand you a wad of cash to give you money back. Go out, have a nice night on the town. That's our guarantee. If it doesn't change your life in the first day, we'll give you everything back plus 200 bucks. Go have an incredible night on the town. We made that guarantee every year. Nobody's ever asked us for anything back. We offer it. It's an incredible event. Can't wait to see all of you. One month from today, that's why I can't stop talking about it. The wad of cash guarantee. That's right. Bestyoueverlive.com. And don't come by yourself. Bring a friend. Bring a couple friends. Hey, the last uh, advice I want to give to all of you, this is what I do to deal with fear. And it's the easiest and it's the most obvious. You know, the first one I gave you is the most complicated. Developing a meditation practice. We went way into that. The second one about managing your narrative. And then the third one about questions. These get simpler until we get to the last one here, which is about changing your physiology. Change your physiology. I've noticed the fastest way to shift what's going on for me emotionally, what's going on in my mind, is to change my physiology. It's why I spend most of my day standing. It's why I do yoga every single day. It's why I move my body two, three, four times a day because I have noticed that when my body gets sedentary, that my emotions get stuck at the same time. So if you find yourself not in a great place, change your physiology. And of course, I can't say that without saying, I truly believe that a lot of what is dictating our habitual emotions more than anything else is actually what we eat, right? Or don't eat and whether or not we hydrate. I truly believe that because our emotions reside inside of us physically, that if we're eating a lot of shit, if we're eating a lot of processed foods and a lot of dead food, or we're putting stimulants into our bodies, everything that I'm talking about today, it doesn't work when the fuel that we're putting in our bodies, and there's no separation between what we eat and our ability to manage emotions. They're one in the same. 
So we've got to develop practices and habits where we're putting into our bodies the kinds of foods that give us lasting fuel. We're talking about whole foods, right? I'm not going to go off on any particular diet. It's not an area of expertise. I eat 80% vegan and the other 20%, I do whatever the hell I want. I feel great. I don't consume a lot of caffeine, but once in a while I do. And I notice I'm a lot better off when I get rid of stuff like that in my life. So just throwing that out there. Fourth and final way to deal with your fear is to change your body, move your body around and be really smart about what you put in it. Hey, love all of you. We'll see many of you a month from now. BestyouEverLive.com, bestyouEverLive.com. Read all the small print, bring your family. If you're not having fun after the first day, Hal and I will give you your money back plus a couple hundred bucks so you go have a good night out on the town. We'll talk to all of you really soon, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast.